Um, please welcome the cinematographer of Tokyo Ga. Ed Lockman. Um, so we were just talking before a bit about uh, about making this film because you're primarily now you're a, a narrative fiction um, cinematographer. You, you know you work with Todd Haynes on Carol, uh, you know Far from Heaven, Mildred Pierce. You've worked with Steven Soderbergh on The Limey, which I think is something you should definitely look up if you haven't seen that. It's it's just really amazing, almost Renier kind of kind of film. Um, and, uh, you know, a whole host of major filmmakers, including vendors. But you actually, early on, kind of started out um, in documentary with the, the Maisels um, on uh, Grey Gardens. Um, so how do you view uh, documentary and fiction as a cinematographer? Uh, I mean, do you really see a distinction between them, or is it, is it is ultimately kind of a similar uh, process? Well... It's true. I, I, for me, I never feel I ever left the documentary. For me, all films are really documents in time and space. No take is ever the same. The light's not exactly the same. Of course, you know, you have a script, but actually you're dealing with real time. So it's, I always feel like the cinematographer is another actor in a way, that he's, he's giving a performance because... In acting, it's about um, reaction and action. And in a, certain, in a certain sense, that's what we do as cinematographers. So for me, I, I've never really left that um, idea that you're documenting. In fact, every room I walk into, even here, is lit a certain way because of the space, where a window or non-windows are, where the lights are. That always gives me ideas, even when I do a film like um, Far From Heaven, which was a very mannered, expressionistic, Douglas Sirk world, I still look at reality to create a fiction. And in even in uh, documentaries, uh, the, the image is the narrative, the narrative is the image. I'm, I always try to make this distinction with a director of finding what, what's the interior world of the characters. And that's what I'm looking at in a documentary also, is uh, let's say in literature, it's very easy to show the interior world of the characters because you can say how they think and they feel. But it's much harder to do that in a film. In a film, you, you oh, I got that wrong. <laughs> In, in literature, it's harder to show place where you are. You, you describe it. You have pages and pages. But, of like but it's, much, it's easier to show the interior world of the character. In film, it's just the opposite. You can show place, you can show location, where you are, but it's much harder to show what's the interior world of the character. So for me, images are about metaphor for telling the story. And you do that in documentary or you do that in a narrative film. Now, not all directors are interested in images to tell the story, believe it or not. But they have different ways of telling the story, the way writers have different ways of writing a story. But obviously, for me as a cinematographer, and 
I, I respond to where the way images tell the story. And those are the kind of films that I, I respond to. And, and for this film, for Tokyo Ga, what was the visual, uh, visual concept behind it? Is that something you came up with the vendors? And well, what was the thinking? It, it, the reason Werner Herzog was in uh, Tokyo at the time, there was also another German uh, director, Helma Sanders. Um, there was a, a, a cultural week from the Goethe Institute, and they invited these filmmakers there. And Vim invited me because he wanted to like explore images of Tokyo through Ozu. So for me, it was like the most pure. In fact, some ways, it's my favorite film because it was just Vim and myself and the woman that you see from time to time. Family actually brought foreign films to Japan. Her family was the first distributor of foreign films in Japan from of uh, the rest of the world. And so she was our interpreter. But I loaded the magazines back then, you know, we shot in 16 millimeter, and uh, Vim did the sound. So we would just explore images, uh, you know, the one day we'd say, oh, let's go to the, you know, find out about where they make the food. Another day we went to the golf thing. So it was just like, a, a, it was, we, we didn't really have a story. We just knew we were looking or searching these images now, it's interesting, before this, you know, I, they selected this film, I went back and I, I had never really read any of the reviews of this film, so I was trying to get my mind back to, you know, what people's take were on the film. And it was interesting, there was a lot of criticism of Vim in this film, saying that he took a tourist viewpoint of Japan through Ozu or through contemporary images. And when I looked at the film today, I realized th this is Vim's diary. And he doesn't say it's anything else but that. It's, his, it's, it's, a, it's a record of his personal experience through his homage to, or his belief in what Ozu translated in cinema. So it doesn't have to be judged. It's, it's always hard, you know, because you really complete the image in a, in a film. You know, we, we, we put those images out there, but you really are the ones that complete it. And so, I, 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 for me, this film succeeds for what Vim was translating. And I, I, for, for me, it, it's, it's one of my favorite films. Because I think it, it's the essence of what filmmaking is about. And I mean, you, you, you mentioned that it's, it's like a diary or journal of inventors. And I, I thought of the cameraman who's in, 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 in Tokyo Ga that you, that's interviewed at the end. And he talks about being the caretaker, a kind of caretaker. Is, is that how you feel when you're working on someone else's journal, in a way? Well, it depends on the director. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, with, with vendors, how, how were you, how, what's, how, what was your relationship? How did that feel? Well, Vim. Um, probably cares more about images than anything else in his films. I always feel like he, I call him a, like a, a film librarian. And um, so, I mean, he, he's a very rich director for a cinematographer to work with. I mean, I can tell you, it's almost the way Ozu probably would work. We would set up actors 
uh, in the desert, and then he had a tra uh, trained timetable, and the and the actors wouldn't perform the scene, and knowing that the train would come through because we couldn't afford to run a train back and forth. So there were things like that, you know, that Fim would do, and so that was. Yeah, and I mean, in 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 Tokyo, you you traveled to a number of, of locations throughout Tokyo. Uh, you mentioned that you kind of want you know you visit one place to another place. Did you have kind of a uh, hit list of places, or because a big emphasis seems to be how uh, the kind of media that Japanese are, uh, people are con consuming and the and images that he seems particularly interested in that. You have that great shot in the taxi cab of the he has a TV in the ca taxi cab. Yeah, I, it, a, a lot you know, relied on me, and that, that was wonderful, like the little boy in the train station. I, I just, it, it, when you shoot like this as a cinematographer, there's a certain kind of intuition and also a trust between you and the, and the subject. And actually, I, there, there was something I, I did when I, I shoot documentaries is I, I start way back. I start... Um, you know, from afar, and then I slowly move in. And I do that because there's a certain place where you violate someone's uh, space. But that you can build a, a trust with that person. They know you're there. But that you build the trust somehow uh, that they feel you're not violating them. And uh, I, I, I think I learned that too, working with Al Mazels. In fact, uh, it, I, the last time I was at ITFA was when Al was still alive. And I learned a lot through Al. He, his, his background was, uh, he studied psychology. He was a, and then he became this uh, cinematographer working with his brother. And actually, the one of the first films they did was in uh, Russia at a, at a mental institution. And I and I did sound for Al, so I I watched how Al worked with people, and he would always have this. It was kind of a respect for the the person in their space, and then and then slowly he would move in, and and uh, so anyway, that's yeah yeah. And I mean, how what what kind of lens did you choose to use for for Tokyo Guy? I, I partly I mentioned that because in the film they make a big thing about the Ozu lens. Well, we shot in sixteen millimeter, and Ozu shot in thirty five millimeter. So the lens they talk about is a fifty millimeter, which would be a they call it a normal lens. So I tried to do the same thing in sixteen, which would be a twenty five millimeter. Um, what is so and yeah. the static. What does that allow you to do? That that. Lens? Well, it, it, it's not wide and it's not long. It, it's it's what what I like about uh, the lens that uh, Ozu used, or uh, is it shows you the near far relationship of the person in the environment. Actually, Vim generally shoots with a twenty five millimeter in thirty five because he likes the near-far relationship of the environment. Because I, I feel like it makes somewhat of a statement of who the people are in the relation to their environment and the composition. Uh, where you use a longer lens, you kind of knock out the background. And so you isolate the people more. 
So, um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I mean, there's so many careful, careful choices that are made about camera placement in this film. I love that the the first actual shot we have in Japan, like on Japan, you know, on Japanese soil, seems to be from almost an Ozu height. It's on the subway platform. Is that right? Yeah, we we tried <laughs> to shoot most of the film interior. For, they call it the tatami mat. You know, where the, his cameraman showed you from a low angle, and he did that because that they would sit and communicate to each other that way in their homes. So that was a natural reason why he wanted that point of view in the storytelling. What was it like that that interview with with Ozu's cameraman? I mean, was uh, you know obviously you, you must have seen a ton of Ozu movies. I mean, what, what what did you learn from from him? Well, there's the awkwardness where he um, breaks down, and um, I had done a film earlier with him, uh, Lightning Over Water, with uh, Nicholas Ray. Um, he was a director in Hollywood and. Uh, infamous anyway he was dying of cancer and um we we kind of made the film for nick because he co-directed it with with um vim and there's a scene in the film where he's in great pain and uh he looks at the camera and he tells me to cut and i didn't cut and he goes cut 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 and then of course i cut and uh, again we Vim was criticized for exploiting Nick, but in a way, Nicholas Ray exploited his own audience. But so now I was in a situation where, you know, I didn't know what he was saying, but I he, I knew he was emotional. So I I would kept trying to take the camera off, and I go, oh no, and then I would put it back. So I thought, well, in the editing, Vim will take those parts out. But he left them in. Movement, he left the movement. And it, it created the awkwardness or maybe the emotion that you feel someone is responding to he, what he was doing. And, and I guess, I, like working with uh, Todd Haynes, a lot of times uh, the things that are like mistakes he uses in the film because he feels it gives a certain emotion or tension to the story. Um, and, and so, again, you know, talking about cinematography and the difference in narrative or fiction, uh, I mean, fiction or documentary, you're, you're looking for those moments that are um, have an authenticity. I always like to think of images uh, that find a poetic or... Uh, psychological uh, point of view and, and a director I've worked with in fact his cameraman was also honored here and is uh, Wolfgang Thaler and I I worked on the trilogy Lo uh, Love Hope and um, what was a paradise or something? Uh, yeah, yeah. Lo so love hope and uh, faith, 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 faith. Hope, yeah. <laughs> paradise yeah, trilogy Lauer, the yeah. Ulrich Seidel trilogy yeah. and and then import export and, and he is a very unique uh, contemporary director in this style, which, um, again, he upsets a lot of people. But his approach is he, f he researches uh, ideas for a story or a, a theme. Um, he then tries to find 
non-actors that can play them, themselves. And if he doesn't, then he uses an actor. And then we shoot on location uh, with minimal uh, lighting because he doesn't want to affect the, the situation. And then he, he'll, he'll shoot the scene. And, and if the actor or non-actor asks him, what would you like? Or, you know, what do you want me to do? He'd say, what do you do? What would you do? And then, so he creates a situation to put them in this environment. Um, and then he says, thank you very much after a take or two. And then he comes back the next day. And maybe we reshoot that scene three or four times over three or four days. And what he's doing is he's looking for something he never could expect. He's looking for something um, authentic in their performance that they're living, that they're, f that they're actually feeling. And his films are quite remarkable that way. Yeah, no, I mean, Ulrich Seidel films, they're just, they're on that knife's edge between, you know, between documenting a reality or, uh, and, and creating a fiction. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and with, with vendors, I mean, in shooting this film, what, what were some moments for you that were especially that feeling of, of authenticity, something that really surprised you as, as it was happening? You mentioned the, 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 the boy in the subway, but uh, were, there, were there any other moments like that? Well, one of the shots that I, again, are with the boy, there, there's a shot in the train where I'm looking out the window, and that shot goes on forever. Uh, but it just has this kind of uh, mythology, and then the way he uses his dialogue against the, looking out the window. That Look, the film is about observation, and so the, the camera's gaze is, is really the thematic of the storyline, and um, that's, that's rarely allowed, you know? I mean, I, I think a director has to trust images to tell the story. It's, it's even, for me, the difference between European cinema and American cinema, in which, in America, if you read scripts, it, everything is in the dialogue. When I read scripts here, the, the directors I've worked with in Europe, um, it's not based only on dialogue. They write situation, they write description, and so it's a different uh, mythology of thinking. That's not true, you know, all the time. But also I find in Europe that directors find their own uh, language, that it's very important to find your own language, like different painters found different styles to tell their story in. And in, in where uh, America, it's... A lot of times you're shooting for the editing room so they can try to control the story. I'm talking about Hollywood, you know. I'm not talking about people like Jim Jarmish or Todd Haynes or uh, Todd Solons. But I, I'm so I'm 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 trying to say about you know studio filmmaking that there's a certain kind of structure of how you tell the story that they want to be able to control. And, and um, this particular film, it, I mean, where it, where it falls in, in, in Bender's career, 
uh, and what he was doing, it's, it's kind of interesting because just before this, he had such great success with Paris, Texas, although he actually shot this before then. Mm -hmm. And then after this comes Wings of Desire. So he's kind of, he had shot in America, he shot in Europe. So this is an interesting, you know, other, other third thing he's doing. Well, th there's a lot of European directors that have come to America to shoot and they think they'll have bigger budgets that they'll get to make films they couldn't make in Europe. But what they don't realize is then they have certain kinds of controls that don't let them make the kind of films. He, he went to Hollywood and made a film, uh, Hammett, and it was a disaster, and he, he, never, he never really made another film in America. Now, there's certain European directors that have been able to make the transition, uh, but they're making different films than what they, uh, I mean, I won't say his name, Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he, his last film, which was a wonderful film, uh, uh, he couldn't get money in America, and he knew that, to make the film he wanted to make. And he made that, you know, with European money, and it had a success in America. But... Um, and, and, and in terms of your own career, Tokyo Ga, uh, I guess, was it especially satisfying be because Robbie Miller was Vin Vendor's cinematographer with him for, and, and you had worked a bit with him, so was it especially kind of satisfying to work with, with Vendor's? Well, Ro Robbie Miller w was, you know, a great touchstone for me. We, we were friends when they came and worked on an American friend, American Freund, and that's when I met Robbie. I, in fact... I saw Vim's first film, um, Alice in the Cities, at uh, the Museum of Modern Art. And uh, so I, I really wanted to meet Robbie. And, and then I operated for Robbie on um, uh, some films in the United States. So, I, I, you know, Robbie Muller was really uh, very important to me. Uh, and then I worked with Sven Nyquist. Uh, Igmar Bergman's cameraman in America, and then I worked on one film with uh, Victoria Storaro. So that was my best film school ever, was to work with these European cinematographers. I, I, was, I was primarily interested in European cinema. I wasn't interested. I learned about American cinema actually through Europeans. So in, I went to art school in the late 60s, early 70s, so... I was really into Italian neorealism and the French New Wave. And, and then in the 70s, it was really the German cinema that was coming in to, to, into being and people like, you know, Werner and Wim and uh, uh, Fassbinder and Schlundorf. And I, I en ended up working with all of them, you know, because when they came to the States, you know, there was this weirdo that worked with the Germans. So. <laughs> Get the weirdo. <laughs> uh, and um, I mean, even this as, as a documentary, it's not, it's not similar in style, you know, visual or otherwise from, from an American documentary of the time, really. You know, it's almost, it's almost more like something like Sans Soleil, you know, the Chris Marker in, in the terms of its essay approach a bit. Um, well, we're almost at, at the end of the time, but I, I'm just curious, what have you been... Sh oh, can we, do we have time for a question? I guess we can do a question, sure. I mean... Anyone have a question? No? Oh, okay. Um, uh, well, my, my question is I'm curious what you're, you're shooting lately, you know, because, uh, you know, Carol was so, so wonderful, and, you know, 
Well, I have a, a new film I just came from Camry Maj, um, Todd Haynes' uh, latest film. It's called Wonderstruck. And believe it or not, it's a children's story. But uh, it's a children's story about a deaf girl. And uh, one part of it takes place in the 1920s, and we shot it in black and white negative. And it's a perfect, again, what I was talking about, finding the visual metaphor. I mean, it's, it's based on a book by Brian Selznick, who wrote Hugo. So he's using the silent uh, cinema period as a metaphor for this girl's world who is deaf. And then there's a other part of the story is in the 70s about a, a young boy who becomes deaf. Who's, and so you see his objective world, how he loses his objective world of hearing and to... Uh, to being deaf, and you're trying to connect why these two stories interconnect, and that's the mystery of the film. And yeah, and it's also a film where you are able to recreate a lot of uh, 1970s New York at, at one point in yeah, a very beautiful so, way. Yeah, so the conceit, the idea Todd had is, if he was using the cinematic language of the 20s, of the silent period, in which you know I'm, I shot in black and white negative film, we, uh, the, the, the lighting is very sure scuro, very you know, s strong, uh, light and dark. The, the camera movement is very orchestrated, balanced, formalistic frames. So the 70s, because both stories take place in New York City, um, we referenced the 70s filmmaking in New York, which was had a gritty, documented look because they were telling you know, realistic stories like The French Connection, Mean Streets, um, Midnight Cowboy. So we referenced that language in the 70s. And so you have this comparison between the black and white formalism and the kind of rough, gritty, raw uh, images of the 70s in, in New York. It's, I mean, it's really a visual <laughs> feast. That must be kind of a lot of fun to be able to explore two styles in the same film like that. Well, all, all filmmaking is fun after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, that's, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. But, uh, thank you so much. <laughs>